Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Sarah Wintmeyer, the News Bureau Chief for WFIU and WTIU. And this week, we're going to be talking about the Indiana primary. It's not often that the Indiana primary is going to have some bearing on presidential uh, nominate, the presidential nomination process, but this year happens to be one of those years. And we have three guests with us. Two are in the studio. Uh, John Zodi is the state Democratic Party chair and uh, Professor Ted Carmines of the IU Department of Political Science is also here. And joining us by phone is Tom John, the chair of, of the District 7 of the Indiana State Republican Party. You can join the conversation by give us, giving us a call at 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Well, it seems like we were here eight years ago with uh, with the the Democratic race in particular, and now it's the Republicans. So, Tom John, uh, what's this? Uh, what what are things like for the Republican Party? You've got presidential candidates coming into the state. Well, it's exciting, right? We haven't seen that in years, as far as <laughs> Indiana mattering much of anything. We've typically had a presumptive nominee long before this time. So everybody's pretty excited that, you know, we had Senator Cruz actually came to our state dinner last night, and Donald Trump was in town Wednesday, and next week we have uh, Governor Kasich coming in. So there are a lot of people excited to be a part of the process and actually have Indiana on the map. Mm-hmm. Now, it's been it's been quite a rollicking campaign so far. I guess rollicking would be one word for it. Um, Ted, uh, so uh, Donald Trump has been, you know, a lot of people are talking about a brokered convention and all sorts of things that could happen going forward. I mean, what, what do you expect from your perspective? Well, I think it's still too early to tell. Obviously, the idea of Senator Cruz or Governor Kasich getting to the 1237 to be a presumptive nominee has uh, left the room. Potentially, Donald Trump could get there, but it's still a pretty long shot for him to get there. So we may well come into July not knowing whether or not we'll have multiple ballots. Uh, Obviously, Donald Trump may be close enough that he could secure the unbound delegates between the end of the primaries in June and July, or we might get to a second ballot, and then uh, it could be interesting in really historical terms, or at least in this in most people's lifetimes. Can you uh, describe a little bit to us, you know, those of us who are maybe not as as in tune with the process of how that would work? So once you will come in and have a uh, a vote of all the delegates, and if you have to get to half the delegates plus one, which is 1237 number that people bandy about, and if, in fact, a candidate doesn't get there, then you have multiple ballots until a candidate actually gets to that number. So after that first ballot, let's say Mr. Trump was at 1150, 1150 delegates, and you had Mr. Cruz at, say, 700 and Mr. Kasich getting to 500 or so, then all those uh, 1,600 of the uh, roughly 2,400 delegates become unbound on the second ballot. Most of those coming in on that first ballot are bound by either state law, party rule, or some combination. So, for example, in Indiana, state law explicitly says that our district delegates, which are awarded three per congressional district, so 27 of them, are awarded to the winner of that congressional district, and they are bound by state law to that. Then by party rules are 27 at-larges and three people of right who are members of the RNC, so a total of 30, are bound to the winner of the overall state vote for president. But then on the second ballot, those people are all free to vote their conscience or whatever the case may be, and so you could have people change from 
uh, one candidate to another. For example, Craig Dunn, who's the 4th District Chair in Howard County, um, who will be a delegate, has already said that he will not be voting for Donald Trump or Ted Cruz if they're the person he's bound to on the first ballot because he is going to vote for John Kasich on the second ballot. Okay. So how many delegates uh, in all from Indiana? Uh, from Indiana, we have 57. 57. Okay. Well, I want to turn to, to uh, John Zodi. So, uh, John, it's not quite as exciting in the Democratic campaign here in Indiana, although there are two candidates who are still viable. That's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, as you mentioned, Bob, have both set up offices here. Next week, uh, we'll see what kind of activity there is uh, on the ground here as we lead up to the May 3rd primary. But uh, certainly seeing how the, the presidential race has evolved um, we had five candidates originally, now we're down to two. And so uh, seeing them, uh, the activity level is good. Um, I told, speaking, you know, we're here in Bloomington, and I, in 2008 I walked around Little 500 with Barack Obama. I mean, that's why, you know, it's where we were in 2008, right? It's, it was an exciting time, and we're seeing a little bit of that this time, and I think that's only good. I think probably Tom would agree that it's good for both parties when you see that increased level of activity here in a primary. Mm-hmm. So what, 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 oh, go ahead, Tom. Oh, I just said absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, so what do you expect, John, in the Democratic primary? Do you, is Hillary Clinton a lock in Indiana? I, I, I don't know. I'm a terrible prognosticator, <laughs> so I won't make any predictions here, especially as the state party chair. I won't make predictions. What I do know is um, they're both bringing new people into the party. Hillary Clinton has some support here from when she was a candidate in 2008 that is still here. Uh, Bernie Sanders has brought a lot of new people into the party as well. We hear from both campaigns uh, in my my organization, and so our job is to be a resource for both of those those uh, campaigns activists. If they want to get involved, it's up to us to point them in the right direction if, if they come to us. And uh, we're just seeing a lot of activity around and people uh, inquiring about the delegate process, inquiring about the party, what do we have going on, what's, what's going to be happening the rest of the year as we lead up to the state convention in June and then the national convention in July. Do you have any, uh, what are the bigger parties below the uh, presidential race in Indiana statewide on the Democratic side. Do you have any? The big races? Yeah. Do you have any big races? Well, certainly the governor's race uh, here. Uh, John Gregg is doing well. Well, I'm uh, thinking about in the primary. Do you have oh, in the primary, uh, contested races? Uh, yeah. Not statewide. Okay. Uh, not statewide. We don't. Uh, we have some on the legislative front, a couple on the congressional front. Okay. Now I want to talk to Ted Carmines because you've been an observer of these elections. So how would you sort of how would you gauge this particular presidential campaign in, in Indiana and what's going on compared to other ones you've seen? Oh, well, <clears throat> well, this is uh, really unusual. As you pointed out, uh, having both parties had having contested nomination fights this late in the uh, nomination calendar is highly unusual. Uh, we can go back to 2008 for the Democratic Party. Uh, but we have to go back to the 1960s when both parties actually, uh, by the time Indiana primary was held, were actually fully engaged. Mm-hmm. So this is really an unusual uh, situation as the way this has worked out. And um, it's particularly unusual in the sense that it's brought a lot of attention to Indiana because the way this is going to work out, especially on the Republican side, but possibly on the Democratic side too, is um, Indiana uh, might be extremely important in terms of the remaining contests. If you look at it, probably Donald Trump is going to do well on Tuesday uh, with the uh, states on the uh, northeast and and, uh, on that border. And then probably Cruz is going to do better in the next set of states that come up. Uh, But that leaves kind of Indiana as undecided. Uh, and it's really quite important, especially, as I say, on the Republican side. And it's going to be – so we're going to get a lot of intense activity. Uh, and I suspect on the Democratic side it could be uh, maybe slightly less intense but still very interesting. So we're in for a real uh, – for political uh, junkies, this is going to be great for the next uh, next month. I really haven't seen any polls uh, from either party. Why is that? Well, uh, we haven't seen any po- – I think we will get them. Indiana is not an easy state to poll. Uh, state law uh, does not allow automated polling, and that's what a lot of uh, some of the polling companies use. It's it's disallowed here, so uh, we won't have that. Although they're not terribly accurate, so it's not a, a great loss. But I suspect as we get closer, we will get some 
some uh, more reliable and accurate polling. But we haven't gotten that yet. If it's so, if Indiana's so important, why isn't like, is it Quinnipiac, and why haven't we seen polls from those kind of places? Well, I think we will. Like I say, I think we will. But I think it's gonna, you know, we're probably gonna have to wait a week or two before we get some get get those kinds of polls. All right, our phone numbers are eight one two eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So I want to ask Tom, Tom John from the Seventh uh, District and uh, the Indiana GOP. Were you at both the uh, you you were at the cruise dinner? I'm sure. Did you see Donald Trump on Wednesday? I did not see Donald Trump on Wednesday. I had uh, work obligations, but uh, I did see Senator Cruz speak last night at the state dinner. And, you know, he did a, did a nice job and, um, you know, met with a lot of people. He was very gracious. There were a number of the attendees who were requesting photos with him, and uh, I don't think he ever touched his food because he was doing a lot of those <laughs> photos. So credit to him for that. Well, I think we ha- I think we have uh, some of Senator Cruz, but first I think we have Donald Trump from Wednesday. We have a little clip of what he said when he was in the state. You know, I'm getting these polls. He's going to get 52 percent. He's going to get 54 percent. Then the press is saying, oh, if he doesn't get 54 percent, they'd make it into a loss. And, you know, no, who gets 54 percent? Very few, especially when you have two other candidates, by the way, that are in favor of Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is a disaster, that are, in the case of Lion Ted Cruz, Lion Ted, lies, oh, he lies. You know, Ted, he brings the Bible, holds it high, puts it down, lies, and you know, the evangelicals, they've been supporting Donald Trump, it's been great, it's been great. We've won a lot, we've won a lot, and I will say this, look, you're, you're looking at a situation in our country where our jobs are being ripped out of our states. I'm not just talking here. They're being ripped out of our states. They're being ripped out of our country. Like, like I say it, like candy from a baby. And I know he talked about Carrier in particular taking jobs out of the country. I'm wondering, um, I, I'm not sure who to throw this one to, but what is it about Trump that specifically appeals to Indiana voters? Maybe, maybe Tom, if you can, if you can speak to that, just about his likability and favorability among voters here. Well, uh, um, Donald Trump seems to have tapped into an anger, and I'm not really speaking about Hoosiers as much as nationally right now. But when I've, I actually have done phone banks out of state um, in Illinois. It's, different places over the campaign and he very definitely taps into this idea of people that are frustrated with the system they're frustrated with the inactivity that comes out of washington dc they're frustrated with the idea that corporate interests get the best end of the deal and that the working class hasn't moved forward and he's tapped into that which isn't necessarily republicans as much as disaffected people from both parties it seems like this evangelical vote is something that we're hearing a lot from him and from Cruz. How important is that in Indiana when we're talking about the GOP? Well, I think what you're finding out is that people vote on more issues than just necessarily which church they go to. And so Donald Trump has picked up a certain segment of the evangelical community because he's got a message that has resonated with people that feel the economy's left them behind. Conversely, Senator Cruz definitely speaks to a certain message that a lot of people in the evangelical community are looking for in their uh, office holders, and so he has continued to hold a chunk of those, too. I think, uh, Tom, you would probably agree, probably agree that, I mean, uh, Trump has had sort of an—he's un, an unconventional politician. You don't hear too many people calling their— Opponents, you know, Lion Ted, things like that. We have um, maybe um, the, the the senator, Senator Ted Cruz, who also, uh, as we've read in many many uh, press reports, isn't that popular among his colleagues in the Senate. But he was here last night. Let's hear some of what he had to say. Our country is in crisis right now. We're bankrupting our kids and grandkids. Our constitutional rights are under assault each and every day. America has receded from leadership in the world. And yet all across the state of Indiana, all across this country, people are waking up. 
and help is on the way. This next election, I believe, will focus on three key issues. Jobs, freedom, and security. Let's start with jobs. You know, it's easy to talk about making America great again. You can even print that on a baseball cap. <laughs> but the real question is, do you understand the principles and values that made America great in the first place? There's Senator Ted Cruz from uh, from last night. You were there for that, uh, Tom. And so the uh, the two candidates do – those two candidates have a, a contrast. We don't have anything from John Kasich because he hasn't been here yet. But I guess I, I, I want to get your reaction. I mean it, it is a um, – you know, I used the word rollicking before. I mean it's a very intense battle between those two candidates in particular and then John Kasich uh, – on top of that, I mean, will the Republican Party be able to be pulled back together after this kind of a primary? Well, I think that it will. I think most of the people that you're talking about are focused on the fall election when it's all said and done and are taking the approach that they may think they have the best candidate that they're supporting in order to win in the fall. But once we come to a resolution, a lot of people will come together and support whatever candidate is our nominee. And, you know, that being one of the three or, you know, some scenarios have been bandied about somebody else. But I think it will likely be one of the three when it's all said and done. Okay. Ted Carmines, uh, you've seen other elections where there have been pretty intense primaries. I mean, does that typically happen? The primaries are pretty wild and then the party just pulls together. Uh, typically, that's exactly the case. I think on the Republican side, though, this year, this is really going to be a difficult process if uh, Trump gets the nomination because uh, there's a lot of uh, folks in the Republican Party who think he's neither a Republican nor a conservative. And since the Republican Party is now very conservative uh, on many issues, this is really going to pose a problem for uh, the party uh, if Trump becomes the nominee. Some will uh, coalesce around him and say anybody but whoever the Democratic nominee is. Uh, but others are going to find it very difficult. I mean, you just saw in this uh, this uh, segment that you had, his position on free trade is really, uh, it's just not the Republican position. The Republican position for decades has been in favor of these trade pacts, and um, most Republicans, and um, it was articulated by Republican presidents going back a good ways now. And to have someone who is this anti-trade uh, packs as the nominee would really affect some Republicans. Not all, by any means, but it is a cleavage within the party. And uh, I just think in general, this is really going to be a test for uh, the Republican Party if Donald Trump gets the nomination, whether they can truly coalesce around him. Uh, as I say, some may decide just to stay home and not vote. Uh, or vote for a third party or independent or whatever. Uh, but um, it'll be very interesting to see how the party coalition uh, will support or lack of support for Donald Trump if he becomes the nominee. Mm -hmm. With Cruz, that's a different matter. Uh, they would certainly coalesce around Cruz, although, again, the uh, Trump folks would find it very difficult to do that, uh, given that he's likely to go to the election uh, to, the, to the nomination, to the convention, uh, certainly with more votes and more delegates than anyone else. And so if he doesn't end up as the nominee, that's really going to leave a bad taste in a lot of his supporters' mm -hmm. mouths, and they're, they're not going to coalesce around Cruz in that case, I don't think. Because Indiana is a winner-take-all. If, if Trump wins here, he gets these 57 delegates. So does that pretty much secure his path forward or, or what needs to happen from after Indiana, I guess, depending who, who we go for, I guess, give us both scenarios. Uh, right. I mean, it's certainly very helpful. You know, uh, Donald Trump has complained about the rigged system of how we nominate candidates, especially in the Republican Party. But he's also benefited from the way we do, so that uh, the way the Republicans do, because as you say, many of the nominations um, in the states are done by winner-take-all, well, that's really plurality. 
You don't have to be a majority winner. You just have to be a plurality winner, and you get all the delegates either by in the state or by the congressional district, and that's really been very helpful to him. But um, it, it, if he does as well as he could do here, uh, then it certainly would solidify his advantage and would make it very difficult. Probably would put him within a hundred votes, perhaps uh, delegate votes on the first ballot, and then uh, there's going to be about a hundred or so, 125 delegates on the Republican side who are unpledged. We're going to see some of them next week in the uh, in the Pennsylvania primary, and so uh, there'd be a lot of maybe pressure on those delegates. He gets left if he's only let's say 80 delegates short, right? then there's going to be a lot of pressure on those delegates to just coalesce behind him and give him the nomination. So Indiana is really pivotal this year. And if Cruz wins, he could st- Trump is still in the running, right? He w- oh, yes. I mean, uh, again, there's so much to be learned here <laughs> up to the um, California primary on June the 7th. So uh, if, he, if it turned out that Cruz were to win Indiana— then it makes it much more difficult for Trump to get the 1237 that he needs on the first ballot. He could still do it, but the the difficulty is really uh, quite large then. We're going to take a short break, but first I do want to go to Tom, Tom John, and see if you – if you want to react uh, quickly to what Ted, anything Ted had to say, uh, do you – you know, he's, he's laid out how he thinks the Republicans might act. In- well, I mean, I think that uh, it's what we'll see – I think some of what he's saying is exactly right in that I think Indiana could stand as a firewall to Trump really getting the 1237 if it went completely with Cruz and or Kasich. I think if he wins Indiana, he's really in the game to potentially get the 1237. Um, one of the interesting things I wanted to say is Literally, just a couple minutes ago, there's a news outlet here in Indiana that partners with Howie Politics that just released a poll that has Donald Trump at 37, Ted Cruz 31, John Kasich at 22, and Hillary Clinton at 48, and Bernie Sanders at 45. So. Yeah, we did, Sarah just got that too. So we, we, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So that'll be maybe that gives us a little bit of a guide. But uh, polls don't always aren't always accurate. No, that's true. But, I mean, I could comment on the coalescing that I think what you find is a large chunk of Donald Trump's coalition, and and I saw this personally from the people who submitted to be national delegates, when you ran their voter record, they were either people who had never voted in the primary or had actually voted in Democrat primaries, and that a lot of them were excluded simply on that basis because they weren't eligible to be delegates. If that holds across his whole coalition... I think what you find is that if Trump's the nominee, there you have a part of his coalition that is there, but I think that that's right, that you do lose a certain segment of Republicans. However, if Ted Cruz is the nominee, I think you see a lot more Republicans coalesce around him. But the part of the Trump coalition you lose is actually the people that weren't really Republicans to start with. All right, we're going to have to take a short break. I want to give you our numbers again because we we would love to have your comments, listeners on the air. 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. 
Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. And we are talking with John Zodi, the state Democratic Party chair, Professor Ted Carmines of the IU Department of Political Science, and Tom John, the 7th District Chair of the Indiana State Republican Party, We're talking about the uh, Indiana primary coming up. If you want to join the conversation, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 from outside the Bloomington calling area. And you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition and follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So, John, we've been talking a lot about the Republican side of things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're observing the Republican side as well. I mean, is there a preferred candidate for you when you're you're the opponent? Uh, no, we're we're looking. I think you know the the Republican opponents or Republican candidates rather have um, offered uh, a lot of different messages, and I think. Um, you know, there has been, in, through multiple election cycles, this sort of sowing of uh, fear and loathing of government. And so you see, you know, when Ted Cruz says America has receded from leadership, you know, we're not talking about inspirational messages here. And so uh, I think our candidates are talking about, you know, the, the, the debate last Thursday got a little tense between Senator, Senator Sanders and Secretary Clinton, but they were still talking about ideas. And so at the end of the day, um, whoever that Republican is on the other side, I think we're going to have a competitive uh, candidate on our side that's going to uh, run and win. And what do you see going forward with the Democratic Party? I mean, you're, the uh, Senator Clinton, Secretary Clinton, has a fairly substantial lead, although Bernie Sanders has been winning a lot of states. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, as you all were talking about, the Republicans were seeing a dele- the delegate number. Where are we with the delegates? You know, every day there's a count. Uh, on on whatever news uh, organization is is keeping track of that. And so certainly uh, Secretary Clinton has a lead in the delegates. I think uh, Senator Sanders, a lot of people looked at the momentum that he had when he won a number of contests, whether caucuses or primaries. He's won a lot of caucus states. Um, But at the end of the day, we're all talking about where we are on the delegate numbers. And so as we head toward Philadelphia, uh, we're, uh, our our delegates, uh, our delegation in India has 99 delegates, and there are 90 delegates there kind of up for grabs. So our number is, is a little bit larger than Republicans. So uh, we'll see what, what happens there. But I think she still has the mathematical lead in, in, in delegates. And so we are, just like the Republicans, sort of looking to see what happens. He's, he's committed, uh, knowing that mathematical uh, uh, situation, he is committed to staying in up to the convention. So that could make for an interesting summer for us. What does it mean going into the general election when, you know, we're seeing on both parties that they're still they still face these strong oppositions in the primary election. So they're spending all this money. They're spending mm-hmm. all of this time and we're not uniting b- behind one person. So I guess going into the general election, are we going to have less money to spend and less <laughs> energy to go around? I, mean, <laughs> I don't think less energy. I think um, people it's it's so, you know, and I'm. Uh, I have to plan on what's going to happen at the state level. I, I'm, I'm looking at you know, the presidential race comes and it goes, and we're hoping it stays. And, and so you really have to to look at where you are. And if the presidential race comes, it's a whole new layer of energy. Um, I talked about 2008. My other anecdote from 2008 is I, I grew up in Martinsville. There probably some people in Morgan County listening right now. But mm-hmm. Bill Clinton came to uh, Martinsville, uh, which is now Bell East Middle School, and spoke at the gym. And people were lined up out the door. I mean, Mar- Morgan County is pretty solid red Republican, as, as everyone on the show knows. And when people were lined up out the door and around the corner to see him speak, you, that was energy. People wanted to see a president of the United States. And so we're seeing this. That energy is good. And so I don't see that, Sarah, diminishing at all. What, uh, Come what may, literally, uh, I don't know that we're going to see a, di- uh, a diminishing of, of energy, resources, and money. Um, we're seeing a lot of new money come in. Uh, and I that uh, <laughs> and we're seeing a lot of campaign finance discussion. We've got a congressional primary here in the 9th District that uh, a lot of people are raising a lot of questions about campaign finance. But I don't see it diminishing. I, I really don't. I think people here in Indiana are ready for some change. Uh, here at the state level, and we are just uh, pushing forward. I don't see anybody getting tired. So how is all of this going? I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but how is this going to affect then the not just the primary, but the general election going forward, this mm-hmm. energy and this excitement? And we have all these other races, too, I mean, on the Democratic side for the general election. 
Well, we hope it will, uh, at the very basic level, affect turnout. Uh, in in uh, 2014, Indiana was bottom at bottom of the nation, number 50 in turnout. There were only about 28% of people in the state who voted. Uh, there are about four four and a half million registered voters in Indiana. Uh, 2008, we had about 60% in the general election. 2010, it went down to 40. 2012, it was up to 58 or something. Then 2000. Uh, 14, it was back down. So it's it ebbs and flows, and you see that in the presidential election cycle, more people get out to vote. So that's what we hope will uh, it will impact the most is people getting out to vote and making sure that we have given people all the information they can to get out and vote. Uh, they're going to educate themselves on the candidates, and for the general election, it will be our responsibility to help educate people on who our general election candidates are. Uh, but making sure they have that information to get out and vote, turnout has to go up. Mm-hmm. And and Tom, I mean, what are you what are you anticipating here in the primary in terms of how the presidential election may shape some of these other races, particularly at U.S. Senate and Dan Coats' seat? Yeah, I, I will say I don't think actually at the end of the day the presidential is going to impact them as much as you think. A lot of the polling has indicated that the distribution of support across the uh, presidential candidates doesn't necessarily line up with one candidate or another in the Senate race, which frankly is a little surprising, but it hasn't. And so also you have the fact that the presidentials are getting started pretty late here. It's not like some of the initiatives you saw in places like Virginia or Wisconsin or others. And so I don't think they're going to independently turn out that many to necessarily distort the electorate with regard to the local races. So can you give us a a little bit of uh, some thoughts on the Senate race. Uh, you know, Todd Young, Marlon Stutzman, big debate this week. They're, they've been uh, at each other, television commercials. Um, you know, is that is that a good thing for your party? Or, again, is that something that might be difficult to patch up? Well, I think, you know, in a perfect world, everybody would sing Kumbaya and find the right candidate. We wouldn't have primaries. But the reality is you have primaries, and you have primaries because you have people who have different viewpoints. Marlon Stutzman has tended to try and take that outsider role and getting into arguments with leadership in the House and leadership pretty much in every place that he's ever uh, sat in office. Todd Young has been a, you know, he came in as truly a Tea Party um, favorite and somebody who, when you look at his early campaigning, has been all about fiscal responsibility. He's continued that. And that's part of the reason he was entrusted to go on to the Ways and Means Committee in the House and become a close confidant of Speaker Ryan. And so I think at the end of the day, you're seeing Todd Young is going to win this race and it will be close there will be a lot of more tv ads between now and then but uh, i think that todd young is going to win the race it's because a lot of hoosiers at the end of the day i typically say hoosiers aren't as much democrat or republican as common sense and todd young's the perfect common sense candidate that would set up a race against baron hill more than likely in the mm-hmm. in the fall so are you looking forward to that race John? Uh, I am. I think uh, whoever comes out of that primary, Barron's going to be a competitive candidate. Uh, Todd Young is uh, believes he's above the rules. I mean, we were talking, uh, you know, he, he didn't get enough signatures to be on the ballot. It, he just did not. So uh, that's first and foremost that this is a, a person who um, will do what they think they need to do to win. And when he comes out of that primary, if it's him, um, you know, if he's the winner or the loser, we're, uh, he will be um, either a, a general election candidate that we've got a compelling message against, or we'll have Marlon Stutzman as a, as a, a candidate. These are folks who have voted to shut down the federal government. And uh, when if we're, we're talking about common sense, that's not common sense to shut down your federal government and uh, leave people out in the cold. So I look forward to a general election race uh, against either uh, Todd Young or Marlon Stutzman. Sounds like that's going to be a wild one. And what about the ninth district? Uh, I know you're in the seventh district, Tom. Have you yeah. got any any sense of what's uh, what might happen here in the ninth district? Well, I mean that that's the probably the craziest race in the state. I think um, you've got uh, somebody who decided that they were going to move from Tennessee last October and spend a couple million dollars and see if they could buy a congressional seat. And I think the people have began to get wise to that, and you're hearing more and more. Of the of Hollingsworth coming in there. And he's running against three people, at least in their own rights, who are uh, or 
pretty accomplished uh, politicians in Aaron Houchin and in uh, Attorney General Greg Zeller, and then Senator Waltz, and obviously Aaron Houchin is a senator too, and has been a long time involved in the uh, party down that area, and her brother's prosecutor. So they, they, I think, at the end of the day, the voters will sort of figure out what's going on. But to be honest, among the three beyond Hollingsworth, I'm not sure who we'll see out of that. All right. And you left out Bob Hall, who uh, lives in Bloomington, so I want to say that he's, he's on the ballot. So, John? Well, <laughs> I don't know that we count on diverting into a political debate here, but, um, I, you know, our, our candidate is Shelley Yoder. I, look, this goes back to what I said earlier. When we look at candidates on the Republican side who are complaining about the same messages that they pushed years ago, Republicans pushed Citizens United. And when we see a candidate coming in here and we're talking about people buying congressional seats, it's because of unlimited campaign finance uh, deregulation here that we're seeing all of this. So Republican candidates now are, are crying foul that Trey Hollingsworth needs to release his donors and be more transparent. Well, these are the laws that the people who are complaining pushed. So when again, when we get out of the Republican primary here, we're going to see a candidate on the other side, whether it be a sitting state legislator, attorney general, the guy from Tennessee or, or uh, Mr. Hall from Bloomington, uh, we've got a candidate who uh, makes sense, who will uh, go to D.C. and do things that are going to keep, first of all, the federal government running uh, and will be consistent in, in what she's going to do for Southern Indiana. So, uh, again, uh, I think there's uh, some inconsistency on messaging coming from the other side on the Republicans. Uh, Tom, reaction? I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate John, you bringing up Citizen tonight because that's one of your talking points, notwithstanding Hillary seems to enjoy her super PAC just fine. But um, Hollingsworth would be there regardless. He could be writing these checks to his personal campaign. The, the super PAC that he has associated with him is really a side note. Most of the money he's written, most of the checks he's written, have been to his own personal campaign account from his own wallet, which could be done anytime and has been done over the years by sure. a multitude of candidates. All right. If you want to join this conversation, this uh, discussion, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join in live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Ted? What? <laughs> I just wanted your reaction. <laughs> I just wanted your reaction. I, I, I to fell asleep discussion. ten minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, so yeah, so this the the let's talk about campaign finance. How about that? Let's take that piece. Okay. Of it. Citizens well, United decision and campaign finance. Uh, look, the the the, um, the campaign campaign finance is terribly complicated. Okay. The system that we have now, I don't think anybody really likes the system we have now, although the complaints about it are across the board. You know, and I, but I do think in this particular instance, it is the case that this is a rich guy running for the Republican nomination, and he could probably self-support his own campaign. And it depends on what kind of campaign finance law you want. But many of them would not eliminate the fact that he could spend his own money. Mm-hmm. Now, you, as again— You're talking about Trump now. Or, <laughs> no, or Hollingsworth. Th- Hollingsworth. Okay. Okay. But, but more generally, it really depends on what kind of campaign uh, law that you have. You know, you can have a fully you know, publicly financed, uh, and that would be very different from what we have now. And then there are all kinds of variations on that that provide for how much small donors can provide, what role PACs can play, and so forth. So, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the decision by the Supreme Court did open up. Uh, it, w- it went very much against public financing. Uh, and right now, that both parties have to cope with that. But obviously, the Democrats are not happy with it generally, in spite of uh, Hillary Clinton's PAC, uh, and they would like to change it. And of course, Bernie Sanders is one of the most articulate critics of uh, that decision. Uh, but the Democratic Party generally would like to roll that back, and Republicans, on the other hand, seem that they 
they support it and have worked well within it. Mm-hmm. Well, I listened to Lee Hamilton speak last night, and one, we, Lee Hamilton brought up the, you know, some of this uh, transparency and disclosure. And one of the things that he said was he believes, you know, and he's been, he's worked within the system, and he understands the complexity of the system probably better than any, you know, as well as anybody. Uh, he said that disclosure he would see as a disinfectant to the the problems that money is bringing to politics today. I just wanted to get the reaction from all of you, and I guess, uh, Tom, you would, I would ask you first. The disclosure of who's giving the money, uh, you know, in, in any case. I mean, you're talking about, you know, one of your candidates who's writing a lot of checks, but shouldn't, all, you know, it, Congressman Hamilton, former Congressman Hamilton, talked about you know the the uh, di- the disclosure of where the money's coming from, disinfecting politics. Your reaction? I, I I'm in favor of disclosure. I mean, this when you put things out there, then people have the opportunity to make conclusions based on who's supporting a particular candidate, where money's coming from, and uh, all of that. So I'd be in favor of disclosure. I. The problem you get into is that really the vehicle being used is the fact that corporations are viewed as persons, and your general corporate law doesn't necessarily necessitate disclosure of who's behind a corporation, and that's really what you're you're getting into is the weeds of how you sort of parse that out and figure that out, and that's it's nettlesome. Mm-hmm. Chad, how would you? How would you? No, I, that? I think you? that's the minimum yeah. that we should go for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are some complexities uh, with regard to, to corporations, but I think in general, the more that the citizenry knows about who's supporting what candidate or what initiative or whatever, uh, and how much uh, that they're contributing, I think the better off our democracy will be. So, uh, I think. You know, that's one thing we should strive for, and we we might even have bipartisan support for that. Uh, it's not there now, uh, but it's really something that we should minimally try to achieve in terms of our local, state, and federal elections. Mm-hmm. John? I agree. I mean, there just isn't the political will to do it in, in, in the Congress right now. Um, and so when we talk about disclosure, Tom mentioned corporations and, you know, you, you, it's a, it's a, you have to keep dig and dig. Uh, when we talk about super PACs and things like that, a corporation can give it to a super PAC and you don't know who's behind the corporation, as Tom mentioned, and that seems to be the issue. It's not that a candidate would give themselves money or uh, that, that they would disclose their money to the FEC necessarily as much as it is this new system we're under. Is Bernie Sanders kind of an example of a candidate who's who's different, I guess, in that way, in that he's not he's not getting as many big gifts? Well, his his donation, I think, his average donation is lower. As a you know, I think twenty seven dollars or something is his average donation. So you're seeing a lot more individual contributions to him, uh, and so he he is an example of someone who hasn't uh, hasn't taken. Um, some of those larger contributions, but he's gotten some too. It's just his average contributions uh, are lower. So um, certainly our candidates are operating within the uh, legal system that we have. Uh, but I think both candidates would advocate that it, that it also needs to change. But you have to fight to win. Uh, and so until the system changes, until there's the political will and bipartisan agreement, um, you know, you, you you have to play within the system that you are that you are given, uh, and so that that presents a lot of difficult challenges uh, for candidates. We have about ten minutes to go, so if you want to join the conversation, eight one two eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington, one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the Bloomington calling area, and you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So this is something I know we hear a lot just in conversations with folks, but it's if we have these 57 delegates on the Republican side and, you know, we go to the polls, who actually are we voting for if only 57 delegates are at stake? Uh, that'd be, I, Tom, if oh, you could sorry. answer that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, who are you voting for? Or you're, you're yeah, I think that's to, a to guide those delegates mm-hmm. is essentially what you're doing. You're binding each of them per their congressional district and per the statewide for that first ballot. But then we hear like what you're saying in Howard County where, you know, the delegate from there was saying even if it is Trump, he's not going to vote for Trump, right? Well, no, he said he'll vote for Trump on the first ballot, which is when he's 
okay. bound. And then on the second ballot, he would go to Kasich. So, um, you know, it's you're going to have those sorts of situations where you'll end up in second ballots and whatever. But the reality is the primary voters are going to be taken into consideration by all those people. They take their jobs very seriously. And who knows if even uh, Mr. Dunn, at the end, Chairman Dunn, at the end of the day, may change his mind in three months. So, Ted, you've seen this system work for a long time. This this year is a different kind of year, as you said. So, who was it in the '60s when there were there were contested races? Well, you know, we back in '64 and in '68, we both had um, situations where Indiana. Uh, it, it wasn't over by the time we got to Indiana. Put it like that, yeah. uh, you know. And uh, but it, it's um, it's a situation. Then it was a situation of. You know the the candidates uh, being as such that uh, there was a lot of activity on, b- on both parties, and you know as you say, usually by the time we get to uh, May, uh, either one of of the two parties we've already settled the nomination, and many times both the parties have settled the nomination, so that uh, this is why this is such an unusual year to come down to uh, May the 3rd and have both parties actually being uh, quite competitive. Well, I want to turn the clock back yeah. to February because, yeah. um, you know, I think this, when you think about the overall system, you know, that Indiana wouldn't necessarily be in play most years. Right. But two states, New Hampshire and Iowa, two relatively small states, it seems to be, they have, a, they have a, an overabundance of power when it comes to this. Isn't, shouldn't there be a better system? Uh, well, no one in their right mind would come up with the system that we have, put it that way. You know. And no one did come up with the system that we have. But it's just evolved over time in terms of what we have. And as you say, um, you know, New Hampshire and Iowa, if you think about it, they're very atypical states demographically, to some extent politically. But nonetheless, the way that it's evolved they have an, an incredible role that they play in setting the agenda for what's to come. Uh, so, um, as I say, it's, it's not anything that was intended. Uh, you know, the, the framers of the Constitution didn't even envision political parties, much less, you know, what we've ended up in terms of a nomination system. So, uh, it's a, you know, it's absolutely unique in the world. There's nothing like it anywhere country, any other country that has anything like what we have, really. And um, it, it does get, a, uh, you know, uh, the power of these two very small, atypical states. Uh, on the other hand, in California, uh, which has the last primary on June the 7th, uh, usually uh, they're not decisive at all. Everything's been decided by that. The largest state in the country, you know, has no role. Now, this year may turn out that they have a very important role, but typically it's uh, it's already decided by the time that you get to California. So is, this, is the system still evolving? Is it possible Indiana's primary may change? <laughs> well, it's possible, but it seems to have kind of settled into this particular form that we have now. So it changes a bit around the edges each election cycle, uh, but uh, probably it's not going to change decisively. Uh, you know, um, I don't see I don't see any state displacing New Hampshire as the first primary state, and Iowa as the first caucus state. That's kind of been set since the '80s, and New Hampshire goes back further than way further than that in terms of its prominence on the primary side. So. I don't think we're going to decisively change, and I don't think uh, probably Indiana will maintain where it is in the calendar, more or less, uh, going forward. I want to give our our party representatives about a minute each to sort of sum up. I'm going to start with John here in the studio and give Tom the last word. So looking forward to May and then on to November, what should what do you want voters to know? Well, just I think it's uh, generally, uh, Bob, uh, and thanks for having me on, by the way, to both of you, and, and good to be with Tom and uh, Professor Ted, I, th- I think it's it's knowing w- the best information, knowing where you need to go to get out and vote. Uh, like I said, the last election cycle we had here, we were bottom of the barrel on turnout. People have to get out and vote this year. We are in early voting right now. Uh, you can do that. I actually may, if I have time, go vote this afternoon here in Bloomington. Um, but 
people, we were in the midst of early voting up until the primary. Get out and vote on primary day. If you're not registered to vote, uh, there's a little period of time, and then you can start registering again uh, in the middle middle of May. Get out and register. Uh, get out and vote. Educate yourselves on the candidates. We have uh, about 10 days here where we're seeing an increased level of activity all over social media, all over TV, all over the radio. Uh, so find the information. Uh, contact uh, us if you need to know more about a Democrat run, and we've got to get people out to vote. And in the newspaper. And now we're going to go the newspaper. to the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I meant online. You know. yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> all right. So, Tom, you have your last minute. Well, so... I think the important thing to remember is we've talked in Indiana about how we don't matter, and now we do. So it's important for all people to come out, and this is a year where, if anything, everybody seems to have an opinion about one of the candidates, whether we're talking about the Republican side, our senatorial race, or whether we're talking about the presidential race. And so this is a circumstance where everybody should come out and vote. Everybody should make sure that they educate themselves, like John's saying and make sure that they actually do make their opinion known because too often I'll be talking to somebody and they'll say, well, I'm just frustrated with government. Did you vote last time? I'll, I didn't get there in time. Well, make time. This is one of the most important things that we do as citizens, and we have some great candidates out there, and we have some candidates that aren't great. Life's about decisions and politics is about decisions. And so make your opinion known and get out there and vote, and then we'll see what happens post-May and whether the circus continues or if uh, we move on to other things and maybe tackling some of the important issues facing our country, which is what I'd like to see us doing soon. All right, Tom. Thank you. We're out of time. I want to thank Tom John and also John Zodi and Ted Carmines. For producer Sophia Salaby and engineer Mike Patchcash and Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.